You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Today's message, I'm going to kind of focus on uh, from Hebrews. I thought that was kind of interesting that Rick decided to use a verse from Hebrews, about the only one I didn't use. But uh, um, the reason, Hebrews is an interesting book. It was written to Jews that had become Christians. But through the persecution, through ostracization, you know, you know what I mean? It's not a bird. It's, it's when you get separated from people. Um, it, they really were struggling, and a lot of them were wanting to go back to their old way of going back to being a Jew. And so the book is saying, is really stressing a couple of main points. How Jesus is a much greater high priest, greater than Moses, greater than ever. How he, the covenant of eternal blood is so much greater. And the, act, the one huge thing for Jews that they fully understood was access to God. They knew that once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and they'd tie a rope to his ankle because he was supposed to go in and if something wasn't right, they were fearful that he could be killed on the spot and have to be pulled out. So this was just a once a year thing and it was with terrible trepidation that they would go into the presence. And in here in our new covenant, access to God is continual and in an invitation. Paul thought that was just stunning. All the apostles thought that was stunning. So that's kind of what we're we're looking at now is this is it, it kind of comes together in Hebrews 12. So I'm going to be looking at Hebrews 12 and I'm going to start with verses 18 through 24. And that'll kind of get us started. It's, it's a great comparison between the old and the new. And it makes a comparison of two mountains. One is Mount Sinai and one is Mount Zion. So it starts with, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was, <clears throat> was such that those who heard begged that, not, that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. I'm going to stop right there. You see those early verses and you see how God relates to man without atonement and without the mediation of Christ. You see these symbols of fire, of darkness, the tempest or the storm, uh, hear the trumpet blast. It leaves them just trembling to be in the presence of God. Moses is trembling and he was invited. That's a terrifying sight. It's the wrath of God is still in mind and, and in, God is still in conflict with mankind. All of us, all of us were in that position before Christ. All of us that had not received Christ were in that position of a God that is in conflict with us. Not in peace, but in conflict. Then you look at verse 22 and it says, but you have come to Mount Zion 
to the city of the living God. First of all, notice the verb tense. It says, you have come. It's indicating they already entered. As believers, they have already entered into the city of the living God. Their residence there now. This is what they're taught, he's saying they're walking away from. The prevailing theme of entering into the presence of the throne room, entering into this privileged territory, runs through the whole book of Hebrews. We see it over and over again, how we're invited to come into the presence of God. So, let's look at a couple of other verses. It starts in Hebrews 4, verse 16. It says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. That's a, that's a word that calls to be boldness. It's because of our faith. To the throne of grace, so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you understand what this is actually coming out and saying? It's saying that in our prayer time, as opposed to maintaining distance, it's saying come directly to the feet of Jesus and give him our petitions for mercy and grace. As opposed to this concept that God's way out there, he's saying come into my presence. Hebrews 7, uh, 24 and 25 says, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to, him, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Notice the continuous of this. So as we draw near, he's continually intercessing for us. This is not a, only an emergency. This is a continuing process. We're always in that presence. We're invited in that presence continually. Chapter 10 has one of the more powerful ones. Chapter 10 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure. I mean, that just blows you away. I mean, you, that, that, there was so much in there to unpack. You could, you could have about three sermons on just that right there. That the full assurance of our faith, the holiness of our entire being is expressed right there. And it says, bring that directly to me, to the throne of God. That's insanely powerful. And now, again, we're comparing this to once a year, a high priest with a rope on his ankle, walking into it, and everybody's like, ooh. This is an everyday occurrence for us now. I'm going to go one more. i got to do one more. Chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's indicating that not just come to his presence, but be rewarded in that place. He can't wait to bestow you with gifts. 
He can't wait to shower you with gifts. The very presence of God is an invitation, and we need to pursue it and enter it. I, oops, I'm sorry. This really gives us the picture of the, how, the, how the kingdom works, how the kingdom of the now and the not yet works. Because spiritually, we are now residing in heavenly places. Physically, though, we're in the present day. And so it's confusing sometimes because remember Ephesians uh, 2, 6, that's where it said, he tells us that we've been raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places. Uh, uh, Philippians says, it calls us citizens of heaven. This is who we are. That's the now of the kingdom. Fully and completely, we are invited and are resident in heaven. That not yet is a lot of other parts of things around us. And so we, we're, this ties it in completely. Spurgeon, I don't know if you ever read any of his, his stuff. It, he has a great example of this, this verse. It says, you have come to the land of pardon, peace, and promise. You're in the home of life, love, and liberty. You have come to the Lord of adoption, acceptance, and glory. Do not, I ask you, construe the acts and dealings of God with your soul after the mean and slavish manner that unbelief suggests to you, but believe your God in the teeth of what you hear or see or feel. See, what's here's what happens. Why don't we enter? Do we hesitate? Do we say, I can come close, but not quite that far? That might be for the Rick Francis's of the world, but I'm not quite there. I don't belong there. I'm going to tell you, we're more than a forgiven sinner. And, and that by itself is, knocks the socks off. But we're more than a forgiven sinner. We're, we're, to be re, uh, we're supposed to be regenerated and we're being transformed into a new identity. You know, we're not the only ones. Do you remember in Acts 1, if, if you can bring it up, Acts 1 verses 4 through 6. That's kind of interesting. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of, me, uh, heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they were asking him, Lord, is at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, here's who they're talking to. They've seen this guy. He has cast out demons. He's healed lepers. He's raised Lazarus and others from the dead. He himself dies rises from the dead, they're talking to him and go, they're like, when's the party start? <laughs> well, you know what? Some of us are doing the exact same thing. We've got an identity problem. And it's kind of serious. We're, we're standing around saying, you know, when's this uh, kingdom stuff supposed to happen for me? When's, when's, it, when's it all going to kick in? I'm feeling a lot like I used to. I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, same gray hair, same wrinkles. It's, it's, you know, 
our identity is so vital. That's why Paul spent so much time dealing with identity. I don't even even noticed it. You know, he has two books that are probably as theological as possible. Most of his letters are written to deal with a problem. Two of them, Ephesians and Romans, are pretty much theological. And so there, there's not really addressing a problem. That, and, and so he's letting you know what's going on. In both of them, he spends the entire first half saying, this is what, folks, guess what just happened? And then the second half, here's how you need to respond to that. And so I look at that and I said, you know, the, the life of Jesus as the new Adam that still reigns on high as human ties us completely into the creation we were meant to be as human. Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He took his bodily human form with him. And by doing this, he has shared into, with us into his glory as human as the right hand of the Father. So what we have is he's restored our identity to rule with him. He's re after Jesus was resurrected, Mary breathed into the, said, breathe. That's the Holy Spirit. That was the recreation of mankind. We are now in Christ. We are not in Adam. How many have ever heard the phrase in Christ when you read something Paul's written? That's what he's referring to. He's, it's more than through the power of Christ. It's in Christ because I am now a human as Christ is human. And so something has drastically changed in who we are and in our identity. Let's take a real quick look at Genesis 1. Let's just remind ourselves what, how we were created. And it's going to be 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Rule and subdue it. We were supposed to be like, like vice regents or, or like governors of earth. God over, is sovereign over the entire kingdom. And he said, I need some governors over earth. And that's who we were supposed to be. He's restoring us to that. We are back to in, in, in our restored state. Now, again, let's not get confused. It's not complete, but he's restoring us. So, no, you walk up to a lion and go, I subdue you, and an arm comes off. Kingdom not yet still involved. So, but I want you to think about something, though. We're restored as immortal, divine human beings living in the current age, but we are end-time people. We have become, Paul, Peter referred to it, that we participate in the divine nature, that we are eternal in Christ. That at, just as Christ is eternal on the throne, we are eternal. Being ascended into heaven is a heaven, and it brings that, that glory. 
Jesus is the basis of our new identity. His human life, death, human resurrection, ascension, radically and permanently changes us of those who come to Christ. Radically changes us. We no longer live in a present age. We've been transferred to a coming age, the end time, and we're being transformed from glory to glory. The process isn't static. It didn't just happen and go, okay, I'm done. No, this is a process that continues. Our transformation continues from glory to glory. So we don't just sit still and, and wait for something else, to, another leaf to pop out. We're not like a plant. We're moving, okay? And this places us in a community of end-time people. This is what we have right here. This is a community of end-time people. And so, and in Christ we're justified. In Christ we're reconciled. In Christ we're called chosen. In Christ we're kingdom citizens. Grab your titles and run with them. We're loved by God. We're God's family. We're co-heirs. We're a community of saints. We're all of these things. So I guess the question is, how do we appropriate this power? How do we go from where we are right now into, into a place of understanding and moving in this? And I'm looking at a couple of steps. One of them is almost tied together, but we're going to break it out as two steps. The first one is revelation. You can't convince yourself without the Holy Spirit. It takes revelation. Now remember I was talking about how Ephesians is. Ephesians, it's so funny because when, when I finally got the revelation of Christ through Ephesians, suddenly I was running around like no one else knew that that book existed. Have you ever read this book? It's unbelievable. I mean, I was crazy over Ephesians because I suddenly saw all this stuff in Ephesians I'd never read before. Those first three chapters are like just breakthrough. I mean, I'm just going to look at a couple of prayers. Because Paul's like, he tells us all this stuff and then he goes, man, I hope they get this. I hope they understand what I'm talking about. In Ephesians 1, there's a prayer. And it says, That the Lord of our, sorry, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you this, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is, is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? There, th these are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a Pause and pray this and slow it down. Break it down. You realize what this prayer is to the Father of Jesus. And so we're, he, he moves through the whole trinity and then he asks for a spirit. He's asking that the Trinity, the triune God, enter us in wisdom and knowledge. And so, he, he, and he's telling us, he's just showing us what, who we are, the head over the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a stunning prayer. But when you kind of start to get it, you understand what the prayer is about. You're like, wow, I'm starting to get a little bit of this. Then in chapter 3 is the famous, famous prayer. And if you struggle with identity, this is the one that you need to print someplace, tack it someplace, and read it on a regular basis. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you want to have a revelation, read those two on a regular basis, and the Lord will speak to you. And he'll start to talk to you about, about, about who he is. The second step is knowledge. I think the two go together. We saw here we're seeking knowledge. Once it's revealed, we've got to somehow assimilate. We've got to know what's going on. In, in Romans, he has, Romans 6 in particular, he takes us through most of these progressions, which I think are really exciting. It says in 6, 3, and 4, it says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through, the, through baptize, baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That we, that the old self, the old us, that we have given it up and we allowed it to be buried at our baptism. A few of us maybe went to our baptism and we're kind of like talked into it, but so we got baptized at another point. But still, what I'm saying is we have come to a point where we recognize that we have died, but we have been risen as a new being and we have come to life through the breath of life, through Jesus himself. And it's in that bond that we now have become new creations. It's, it, we are now new creations. Uh, Derek Morphew says we're a new species. We're totally different. So then we go on to verse 6. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Slaves to righteousness. So then, then my next step is, we've got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit into faith and believe. That's that's when I say faith, that's that's a faith in action, and it's based on hearing revelation and knowing the truth, and it causes us to act in Christ, in obedience and through His will. So, real short one. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe also, we, I'm sorry, 
we believe that we also live with him. That with him doesn't mean side by side. That means with him in union with him. Much the way a husband and wife lives with each other. We're, we are living to, to, to be for one another. That when son wants something, okay, once in a while I do it. But why do I go to work? For my, so I can spend money? It's for our lifestyle together. It's for us. Everything we do is for us. Why does she sit there and do all the other stuff she has to do? The, all the other shopping, preparing meals, is for us. Every day I have a packed lunch because she's concerned about me eating burgers and fries. For us. Because she wants me to live long. For us. So, so when we say that we also live with him, it doesn't mean we're living at the same age or coinciding. It's a union that we live with him. It's the reason we refer to the marriage all the time. Number four. This is a big one. This is when we have a new self-awareness of who we are in Christ. Uh, Paul refers it to counting or reckoning. And, and he said, uh, let me use that verse. It's uh, 6, where is it? I lost my place. All right, 6, 10, and 11. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. The word count there means be aware of. You know, it's sort of an accounting type term actually, but what it's saying is see that you own it. It's yours. And so that really, you know, when you start to go through these steps, and if, if you're missing any of these steps, and if, if you really don't see yourself there yet, be very, very careful because you need to really spend time let, the, let God just soak in him. Because the next step is so important. If you do it before the other steps, you'll trap yourself into a theology of works and a theology of, of uh, law. And that is surrender. If your belief system and your self-identity has not been placed in Christ, then when you try to surrender, you're not sure who you're surrendering to or why. And suddenly it becomes, I've got to do these things. Because that makes me a good Christian. So you're, not, you're surrendering to an obligation, not to the love that's in your heart. And so something changes in you. So this is why I like this. I love Romans uh, 6, 12 through 19. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are no longer under the law, but under grace. What then, shall we, shall we sin because we are no longer under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you, may, you have come to obey with your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin 
and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example of everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now you offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Because your heart, you came to obey from your heart. And so our obedience is from our heart, not from an obligation. I don't serve Jesus because I have to because he did something good for me so now i got to do something for Jesus. And so many times we, we find ourselves trapped in those kind of obligation things. I was raised in a, in, in a, in a religious system that that's exactly the way it was. You had to do certain things and check all the boxes. I really wasn't sure why. You know, they had to have a confession. You had to go have communion once a year. You had to go to church every single Sunday. You had to do all these different things. And you got to keep checking the boxes. And I was like, as long as I'm checking boxes, I think I'm going to heaven. I never really knew. I was young. So I believed in all that stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. A great deal of the Catholic Church's faith and their, and their doctrine is powerful and wonderful. There's probably no other faith that talks more about the peace of God, than, I think, than the Catholic Church. You give a handshake of peace. The peace is, is all through that. And that's an important part of who Christ is. But, but this obligation, we call them holy days of obligation even. They had days you had to go to church, and if you didn't go to church, you know, ah, you know. So our, we do that ourselves sometimes. How many times are you really sick? I mean, genuinely sick, and you miss church, and you think, oh, gosh, I wonder what God's going to do. You're going to be mad at me for missing church? We're not, folks, we're not under wrath anymore because we're co-heirs in Christ. We've been redeemed and we're family. I mean, please understand this, that, that as you surrender through a heart that knows who you are in Christ, then you have no other will than to serve him. Because your service becomes who you are. Because the Christ-likeness that becomes you is like the human Christ that was on the earth that couldn't stop serving. That couldn't, that did not hesitate to wash the feet of his disciples. That would cross the barrier and go to Samaritans and heal them. Go to Samaritan women, you're not supposed to even talk to women, and, and renew their lives. He went to Jew and Gentile. You've got to have, see this. I mean, a picture us as a nation being under the rule of another country. And one of their, like, captains or key officers walks up to one of us and says, Can you heal my servant? And everyone here is saying, Don't talk to him. He's, he's on their side. And Jesus heals his servant. And then turns around and says his, that he was amazed by his faith. I mean, who else sees the chief of tax collectors? Not just a tax collector. He's the boss of these guys. This is a scumbag. This, this is a guy that's really like the Don of the Mafia. We have this picture of, of Zacchaeus as this little cute little guy that climbs a tree. This is a this would be somebody that goes around with an armed guard most of the time because people would be trying to kill him. This is a, 
This is a guy that when he walked down the street, everybody kind of got out of the way. And he may only have been that tall, but he was a scary character. And this is someone Jesus says, come on down. I'm going to your house. I mean, he's like, uh, going to make me an offer I can't refuse. So, but, but I mean, this is, this is stunning stuff. This is who we become. We walk down the street and we see people we never saw before because we're being transformed in Christ. They were always there. We just didn't see them before. We see aches that we never saw before. We hear phrases of somebody maybe at work and we hear pain that we thought was just complaining. But it was genuine pain about something. We see loneliness like we never saw loneliness before. Especially young people. It's stunning how many young people are terribly lonely because they depend on relationships with a computer that they, they've lost the ability to engage. Terribly lonely people. We see so much more because we were developing the eyes of Christ. That's what, that's really so fundamentally different about who we are in Christ is because we see things that Christ sees. We react to things the way Christ reacts. And he's in, he's given us authority and power to do this. You know, this is why he, when we look at all these things and we say, I'm so excited, I'm son of God. This is not just so we can go around and be real happy about ourselves. This is to complete a mission. We are being built up to, to build others so that we, are, we become builders. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations. And so that discipleship is in a number of different ways. So one of you may be the evangelist that goes out and talks to people, total strangers, and you're like, whoa, I could never do that. And you're talking to them. But someone else might be the one that goes and talks to someone who's questioning, who just maybe is new to, to coming to Christ. For the first time, starting to get an idea. Of what You may be one of those nurturers and, and later on a mentor. We all have different stages. Preachers, teachers, prophets, we're all in there to make disciples. It doesn't say just to make converts. And so we're all, we all have a place in the body of Christ to expand the body of Christ to the far corners of the earth or even just Hancock County or Marion County or whatever county you happen to be associated with. Yes, you can do street evangelism, but you know, all of us are in contact with a lot of the same faces and people that have not come to Christ. We can develop a relationship. So some of us, our way will be different than others' ways. God will give you gifts and giftings that are unique to each and every one of you. Why? Because God, Jesus, was unique and different in every circumstance. Have you, you saw him very harsh. You saw him very gentle. You... you you, have, you heard him tell the apostles, are you guys ever going to get this? Almost you could hear that frustration. In the, then you could hear him being gently leading him on and telling Peter, do you love me? I see Jesus in a myriad of different ways. But the thing I always see in Jesus is Jesus always relied on the Father and was connected constantly in grace and in spirit with the Father. And his prayer time was the most valuable thing in his life. He would go away to pray in the middle of the night if he needed to. But he always was in connection with the Father. 
we can't do this on our own strength. We were never meant to do this on our own strength. On our own strength, we do nothing. Jesus has done everything for us. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has allowed us to move from there. And it's then with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we got to go. Okay? It's like we fill up the tank, we gave you the keys, you don't sit there and wax the car. It gets on the highway and starts moving. And that's what we have to do. So, as we become more and more and more and more in an understanding of who Christ is, you actually become more understanding of who you are in Christ. The very person of Christ is growing in you. And whether you believe it or not, you have to come to an understanding at some point. Pray into this that you understand and are revealed and, and grow into this. Right now, you may be saying to yourself, I'm about as far away from that as, you know, New York to L.A. But you know what? There are roads between those two cities, and you can move. And so we can grow and move. Quite frankly, when I got married to my wife, it'll be 20 years this year. If I'd have heard the whole story before I married her, or even went out on a first date, I'd have gone screaming into the night. If you'd have told me that I would quit smoking, quit drinking, I'd become a holy roller, and I'd actually even want to become a pastor, I'd said, you are out of your mind. You're nuts. It's too, I was, I couldn't, that's not something I can even imagine. So if some of you right now are thinking, I'm too far away to get to, to that point, the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm right here. I'm a miracle man. I made the world, the universe, in six days with a, with a word. I spoke it. I destroyed evil with a word. Go. And I healed by just a touch. You know, in the spiritual warfare, there is no battle. Jesus just speaks and it's done. And he, he dwells in us and he can make dramatic changes in all of us. So, looking back at that very, very first, you don't have to put it up, but very, very first one, it says, I'm, I'm coming to the city of the living God, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled, in other words, registered in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood spoke of curses and revenge and because of the death. Jesus is killed and he raises from the dead and he speaks a word of, his blood speaks of forgiveness. His speaks, his speaks of love and compassion. You know, walking as welcome citizens returning home, let Abba come running to the gate to meet you. And while the voices of the angels rejoice and celebrate our coming, put on the sandals of the, of the gospel of peace. Or as Paul says, put on a new coat of righteousness and the ring of the authority of Christ that dwells in you. Yeah, all of us are prodigal sons. But we have a great, great father that welcomes us with open arms into his very presence. And he hugs and kisses on each and every one of us as we come home.
That's who our God is. That's who welcomes us in his presence. And why anyone would step away from that, I could never understand. But I can see in everyone's face right here, there's people here that are being touched right now by the Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone here that doesn't fully understand it, I desperately would love to pray for you. Not that, I, not that you're going to suddenly walk out here and go, oh, I Chuck prayed, I got it. I just want to pray that Jesus reveals to you these items. You know, it's funny because last night I was, I was praying about this message. Two, two faces came to me. It was two faces that the Lord said, they're going to be teachers of identity. And oddly enough, one of them in here, the other one's sitting right back there. It was Gloria. That she says she is going to be a teacher of, of, of identity. For some reason, the younger people. So that's, that was the image I got. You know, teachers of, of, teachers of identity usually come from people who had a shattered identity. That, that the revelation of who they are in Christ is so dramatic and so life-changing they become great teachers. You know, the natural hitter is a terrible coach. It's the guy that had to struggle to get every single base hit that's usually a good hitting coach. And it's a person that's really had a hard, hard time adapting and learning their identity in Christ and becomes great teachers of identity. And so welcome any of those callings that you may have because it really it's, it's, it's God-blessed. So I want to close in prayer. Father, Today we've looked at who you are. It's stunning that you took on humanness so that we become in the image and likeness the humans that you created. You seek us. You call for us. You, you, you reach to us asking us over and over again, come near to me. Pursue me. Come into my presence. Join with me. And we step aside and we, we, we hesitate. So, Lord, I'm just going to ask right now. Anyone that doesn't see themselves as somehow worthy to be in the presence of their Father, that doesn't see themselves worthy because of their images of, of relationships that have been broken on earth, don't let what's happened on earth harm the relationship that Jesus is bringing to you. We ask, Lord, that you heal these things. You open doors and you open eyes and you open hearts that each and every one of us can float and move in your very presence, that we can rejoice in the knowledge of who we are in you, and that all the turmoil of earth will not shake the very peace that's in our heart, the heart that dwells, the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.